This podcast includes explicit language and situations. It is intended for adults 18 years of age and older. These thoughts and opinions are those not of any specific group, employer, or individual. Listener discretion is advised. From the Spade and Archer Studios, welcome to Behind the Yard Sign with your hosts, Justin M. Reardon and Kelly Hanahan. Okay, Justin, episode 11, Behind the Yard Sign. Welcome back. Did you know that when I turned 11, I cried at my birthday party because I felt that I was no longer a child and I was going to lose my innocence? (laughs) It's like a very existential, like, angsty little kid. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, were you raised with a lot of religious guilt and shame like I was? Well, I was was raised half half Catholic, half Jewish, so it's like twice the guilt and half the fun. So probably, yeah. So when you said that we're on episode 11, I'm like, oh, we're officially an adult as a podcast. Like, we're all grown up, no more innocence anymore. I had a person reach out this week, and they're like, we're starting a podcast really like your podcast. Will you tell us how you did it? And since we're super scrappers, like, we record this whole thing on our iPhones. (laughs) I know. It's true. And our Zoom account, our handy Zoom account, and our phones, and poof, podcast comes out. Yeah, we're supposed to talk about homestaging, but yeah, we're going to talk about being angsty 11 year olds. <laughs> we have awesome guests planned for later on today. Some of our best clients here in Portland, they're a duo. So we wanted to ask them all about how that works, the mechanics of it, whatever. It's going to be cool. Um, but in the meantime, let's talk about some home staging business. You know what I mean? Totally. So it's been, an, it's been an interesting week out there in the um, home staging world. We've got lots and lots of fires on the West Coast. All three of our offices are inundated with smoke. And uh, we've got, of course, coronavirus still going on. We've got the election going on. we got people are just stressed out and doing silly things. And it's funny how, you know, real estate is so kooky already. It's just so many moving parts for any given transaction. And then we get looped in as a vendor of this transaction. And we're like dealing with people who are already going at a thousand miles an hour and every, all these things. We can see the best of people, but we can see the worst of people too. We get both. But something I wanted to talk about, because again, like I always say, like, I'm newer to real estate world. I'm definitely brand new to home staging. I've been with Fade Nurture for about a year and a half or so. and The best year and a half of your life, right? The best year and a half of my entire <laughs> career, hands down, without a doubt. Yeah. It's the best job I've ever had in a global pandemic, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Honored. Honored. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you are my favorite employee who's named Kelly. <laughs> The best. Exactly. <laughs> um, the best. We have created a lot of cool stuff in our business process. Yeah. Aside from the great staging we always have done, but we had to real quick change up some of our business practices, how we bring in work, making everything COVID safe. We evolved. We didn't pivot. We evolved. We evolved. Yes. We yes. matured. I feel like a lot of the changes we made absolutely upleveled our business regardless of COVID being here or not or whatever. Like, right. you know, they're all super great upgrades overall. up-leveling all all over the place. When we do that in a given industry, a lot of other curious eyes come around and we see a lot of other people in the home staging industry coming along to check us out or clients who will call and say, well, we spoke to so-and-so and and they're trying to work a deal against some other bid. So like, tell me what bid shopping 
is. Yeah. First. Okay. So bid shopping comes from the construction industry. You know that I was an architect first and then yes. I became a contractor after that. And bid shopping is a process where let's say you're a GC and you're getting uh, a general contractor and you're getting yeah. bids from subcontractors. And I get a bid from A1 Glass and it's for $5,000. And then I get a bid from Jimmy's Glass and it's for $3,000. And I take that bid from Jimmy's Glass and I show it to A1 and I say, well, your bid was at 5000 but I have this bid that's at 3000 Can you beat it? And then A1 comes back to me and they're like, yeah, we can do two ninety nine nine, and they beat them by $5. Now, even <laughs> though Jimmy had the better bid and had the full scope of work, I bid shopped his bid to another bidder and asked him to lower their bid to meet it. It is considered like completely unethical. It's an unfair bidding process because you are basically giving away the farm from some other company. You are, you are creating an end of competition and just creating favoritism. Who ends up suffering because of it is the client who's having the project built. And so the way it looks for us is that we are always the first person to have our bid in because we have instant pricing. Most, most home stages you look at, it takes a day or seven to get a phone call and then a day or seven to get an appointment and then a day or seven more to actually get a number. So you're looking anywhere from three to 21 days to get an actual price for your home staging from most of the home staging industry. Our bids come across in a total of five minutes. And so our number is out there first and then they will take our number and then shop it around to other customers. They'll take our numbers and shop it around to other home stagers. Then they'll take those numbers that they get back and bring them back to us and be like, well, we got a number that's lower than yours and this is our actual budget. Can you meet it? And so I cannot tell you how many times in the past week I have written the message that says Spade and Archer has a strict policy of not participating in bid shopping. We wish you the best of luck. We don't do this. It's unethical. And we get asked to do that a lot. And even more surprisingly so is that we have real estate agents that ask us to do that sometimes. Like even like long-term clients who've worked for for a long time come back and like, I have a cheaper bid. Can you beat it? And I was like, yeah, we don't do bid shopping. That's not something we participate in. What it comes down to is that like, ultimately the seller is going to suffer because I'm not going to, I'm not going to do a a crappy job. I know what my, my worth is and what my value is. We adjust our pricing on a daily, if not weekly basis to move it up and down based on what the market demand is. And so I know exactly where our pricing is supposed to be. This isn't like we're just guessing out there. And so when you get asked to do that, it's like, it's tough to respond because like you're calling somebody else out for being unethical. And at the same time, like trying to maintain your standards and not drive away a client. But then again, like if somebody's bid shopping, do I really want to work with that person? We choose our company, right? (laughs) Sure. Absolutely. So, I mean, I would imagine there's, you know, for people who are either interested in getting into real estate or in real estate or whatever, and maybe they actually have never been in the shoes, right? Or had the evolved empathy to imagine what it's like to be in the vendor's spot. And maybe they actually don't know that this practice is super egregious. What advice would you give to a real estate agent if they have been doing it or if they are asked to do it by their client or they're asked to do it maybe like maybe someone else in their brokerage recommends that they do it like what should their response be yeah i mean so i think the first step that if you're going to be getting multiple bids on a project is set a scope of work have a written scope of work that says hey we'd like to stage this entire house we want to have it staged for a month what is your first month cost what does each additional month cost after that and then you can start to compare an apples to apples bid to each other sometimes you're going to get home stagers who are going to give you this is what it costs per day this is what it costs for three months and so you can just divide that three month number by three or you can multiply that one day number by 30 and that's going to give you a one month cost so that you compare them apples to apples 
models. The big thing is that you never show one vendor another vendor's bid. That is considered unethical. And I know that okay. if you're not coming from the world of construction, that probably doesn't seem like a big deal to you because you would go to the store and you would do what's called shopping. You shop for the best deal. Like, oh, Coca-Cola is, you know, $1.99 for a six pack. Pepsi is $1.95. I'm going to buy Pepsi this week because it's four cents less. That's how you compare your bids. In the service world, you just don't do that. And if your managing broker is telling you to do that, or if another real estate agent is telling you that, it's really easy just to just to say back to them, oh, that's considered bid shopping. It's not ethical. I, I don't want to participate in that. And by saying that, you're not saying like, you're unethical. You're a bad person. You should burn in hell for the rest of your life. It's not about putting a judgment on somebody else. It's just saying, I don't choose to participate in that. I think it just will make it so that your vendors won't hate your guts. You know, right. Every vendor has what's called an asshole fee. If you are not a good client, your vendors will charge you more money. You know, you want to treat your vendors with respect. We talk about that. And also don't let your vendors walk all over you. At the same time, treat them with respect. Do we ever talk about my first job at Interior Architects way back in the day? Like, so my so. very, very first job at Interior Architects, it was called IA, Interior Architects. They were based out of San Francisco. It was an architecture firm. I just graduated from University of Hawaii. I was so excited because they had hardwood floors in the entryway. And when I walked across the hardwood floors, the heels of my loafers clicked and I felt so fancy going to work oh there every God. day. They had of like, course you remember that like it was yesterday. Oh my God. Sure. Corbusier furniture in the entryway and a beautiful reception desk and like we're on like the 33rd floors of one California. Like it was just a beautiful wow. office. I was That's very awesome. fancy. Probably within the first month or so that I was there, David Morning, who founded IA, sent out an email to all of the entire staff. When you got an email from the owner, you know it was a big deal. And he said, it was a very simple paragraph. It said, your vendors will make or break you as an architect. Treat mm. them with respect. You know, I think that a, a lot of architects and service providers and real estate agents, they think of their vendors as being lucky to work with them. And what they don't understand is that vendors, we don't just serve one person. We serve lots and lots and lots. Small business owners literally keep our eggs in multiple baskets. I have 500 clients. If I lose one, I still got 499 more. Right. So it's okay. I I think that they kind of forget sometimes that how you treat the people that are making or breaking you is really important because they're going to make or break you. And if your painter doesn't show on top of time, or if your home stager does a crappy job because they hate working for you, it makes you look bad. And eventually that gets around. And I know that I talk to all of their home stagers in town. And when somebody doesn't pay me, I go to their website and I say, hey, by the way, X real estate agent did not pay me. Be careful with if you work for them or not. And nobody will work for you. And if you can't get a home stager to work for you, it kind of sucks. We're the vendor. There's only so many home stagers of a certain caliber in town. Yeah. But there are like a bajillion real estate agents. Right. <laughs> you know, like you really need to keep your vendors happy too. And I have to say, it does go both ways because like we always say, real estate is insane. A million moving parts with every transaction. There's a lot of shit that happens yeah. that is really out of the real estate agent's control. And how many times we have three meetings every morning, 7, 17, 7, 30, and we talk to everyone in 
supplement allocation, we go through all of our client issues or whatever. How many times do we say, oh, they're such a good client because something went awry and we're doing something extra over and above and we want to keep our clients who are like family really happy because they're constantly in our roster of clients over and over and over again. We're so happy to go do that extra thing. Not even necessarily the fact that they're there over and over and over again, but they treat us like people. They treat us like humans. And we had the situation today. There was like a project where one of the priority preparations didn't get done on the guaranteed project. And the priority preparations are required to get the guaranteed project in place. Like they had to paint a room or something like that. And it didn't get done. And this was a particular client who is incredibly nice, super thoughtful, always treats us politely. And the discussion was, let's not die on that hill. Let's win the war and lose this battle because this person treats us with respect. They're super nice. They always speak well of us. They always bring us in. Sometimes shit happens. Let's give them a break. If that person had been a complete and total asshole, be like, okay, well, our contract says we're going to charge them $5,000 if they don't fix that in the next 10 business days. And that would have been the route we would have gone. But it makes a difference when you're nice. It makes a difference. Absolutely. And we have those consequences built into our process for a reason is because people will come in and abuse. Yes. Our policies, our standards, our timelines, or whatever, but they're not there to punish the unfortunate things that happen to our best clients. Like, we're just as loyal back. I think the old adage is, it's nice to be important, but it's important to be nice. Aww. Speaking of which, we have, like, two of the absolute nicest people that I know sitting in the Spade and Archer green room right now, just (laughs) waiting to talk to us. Um, Mel George and Michelle Corey are both real estate agents in Portland there with Windermere Realty Trust. Should we go get them? Yeah. All right, let's go do it. Today, we are really lucky to have uh, Michelle Corey and Mel George, two very awesome and routine clients of ours in the Portland area. I was just getting to know them a little bit and I get to describe how I love meeting and hearing the stories of the agents behind all of the work we do because I get to just see the final product all day. I'm never in the houses (laughs) as the marketing person and the digital person. I just see the final results and I hear the reviews and I hear all the good stuff, but I really love hearing the stories from you guys. So we have Justin here with us today and thank you so much for spending the time being with us because we know you're both super swamped. Happy to be here. So Mel, the first time I heard your name, I was expecting like some big dude with a bald head and then you show up and you're Melissa George, who's like petite and like the nicest person in the world. How did you get the name Mel? Well, it was just a nickname that started in college. And it just seemed to be a little bit easier to say when you're on the phone a lot, you know, when you are saying, right. hi, this is Mel George. It rolls with, off the tongue for sure. You know, it kind of just seemed to be a natural fit for sure. I already talk fast. So having a shortened version is a lot easier. I noticed that your your yard signs, they say Mel, quotation marks, Melissa, <laughs> George, like just to like clarify, I'm a girl, just that's so right. y'all know. Yeah, that's interesting. She, her pronouns. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Just because I don't know anything about your story whatsoever and one of our favorite questions to ask real estate agents is how you got here because everyone has such a different story like Justin always says like nobody went to college to become a real estate agent (laughs) so everyone's got really great stories like either they started really young or maybe it was in the family or it was just like a third attempt at a career switch or whatever so how did you guys end up in the real estate world go ahead Michelle you start 
All right. Well, I was literally born into it. Um, okay. It's it's kind of my joke all the time that being in real estate and being in my family is kind of like the Sopranos. You're born into it, and you're gonna you're gonna leave six feet under. Uh, <laughs> my, my dad was one of the top producing real estate agents in uh, in Oregon in the '70s, '80s, '90s, 2000s, actually, all the way up until a few years ago when we finally talked him into retiring. And I was the youngest of three, and so my childcare, even when I was a little kid, my mom worked in the office as an agent. My dad was a was a managing broker. And I was I was in real estate from the time I was a little kid. Had business cards at the age of five, which I actually still have. You are kidding! That's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. I think I, I can remember going back in the day. They had like Street of Dreams and stuff. They'd have these you know open houses. We'd, we'd go on, and I'd hand out my business cards when we'd go out for tours. And it was I was a very cute little five year old. But that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> but anyway, um, my family. My dad's a, a really has a strong work ethic and. In classic uh, nepotism style, when I was of age to work and got a work permit, which I don't know if they still make young people do that. Uh, my first job was at First American Title, and I was pulling documents in the title department, and that went on uh, every summer. Wait, how old were you? Fourteen. <laughs> You're fourteen. I would love yeah. to know, as somebody who's getting like the, the gigantic mortgage that a fourteen-year-old is taking care of my paperwork. That's fantastic. <laughs> as a father of fifteen-year-old, that horrifies me. <laughs> Pulling documents, so I, I had okay. I paper clips on my finger. Anyway, did that all the way through. Went into escrow when I got out of college at Oregon State, and here I am. Now I've been licensed. This is my I'm going into my 23rd year, and I'm only 30. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The first time I met Michelle, I was on a job site. This is when I was still doing consults, and we went through. We did the hour long consult, and at the end of the consult, I was like, "So Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, like what? What borough are you from?" And she's like, "Born and raised in Portland." I'm like, "Whoa!" Because she's like the least Portland attitude I've met in my entire life. She's an intense woman. If you ever deal with her, man, she gets her shit done. This very New York style. Yeah. I was gonna say, Justin, are you sure that was? hour meeting because usually my hours are about 10 minutes. It was about 35 minutes total. Yeah. It, it was a big house. It was a big house. <laughs> Mel, Mel, tell us, where did you come from? Well, um, I went to Portland State and I was doing different jobs during college and didn't really love anything that I was doing. And so I started doing a lot of volunteer work and in 2004, I was volunteering a lot with probably every weekend with Habitat for Humanity's Women Build program. It was such a unique volunteer situation where I was learning about construction and power tools and the ability to really impact lives through home ownership. And so, you know, I realized that I, I was so passionate about that. You know, if I had the ability to do that in my everyday career, it was something that I wanted to do. And, and also to be my own boss, to really make my own schedule mm-hmm. so I could volunteer whenever I wanted. So I switched, you know, my day job was corporate event planning and I decided to start studying for my exam and my real estate license. And so I did that on nights and weekends. And in 2006, I got my license. So now I can't really take full days off to volunteer, but I'm still really connected to those nonprofits. But understanding those building systems and construction and all of that has really given me that confidence that I use in my everyday career. Mel, what were you studying in school? I studied communications in Spanish. Okay. So I had two majors. And are you still bilingual? You know, not bilingual, definitely more proficient, but it's something that I have to definitely practice. So here's the part that amazes me. When I think of Michelle Corey and Mel George in terms of like the way that you do business, it's incredibly different. Like I said, Michelle is very direct. She'll tell you exactly what it is. Mel is so organized, out of control. She will tell you that you have a booger hanging out of your nose and, and you don't feel bad about it by the time she's done. Like she's like <laughs> literally the nicest person I met in my entire life. And 
it is. It's not that you're not. It's not that you're nice. It's just that yeah, you guys go together beautifully. It's like a. It's like an awesome salad dressing for seaweed more or not, something like that. Not sugar that. and yeah. vinegar. More like sugar and spice. So the thing that I find really interesting is that you two work. I'm not going to say in a partnership, but like in parallel to each other. And I would love if you could just kind of talk about how you met and what made things click that you were like, hey, you know what we could do is this. Maybe who's 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 going to describe that story? I had just gotten in the business in 2006, 2007, and I was really struggling to make ends meet. Um, I had a super small network and I'm also an inherently shy person. So I just wasn't very good at putting myself out there. At the time, Michelle had a very very thriving and growing business and needed help. So our principal broker suggested that we meet. I'll let her tell you the rest. <gasps> it was a Cupid, like as a matchmaker. It was a match made. Okay. Wow. Okay. Keep going, Michelle. You know, you kind of already said it, Justin. It's just, we are left brain, right brain. We are one kind of one complete human being. I was at a point in my life where I, I was needing more help. Uh, that's all very true. But also look at Mel. She's nice. She's awesome. It was immediate on our first time we met, which was at a coffee shop on Halsey, the Daily Cafe, I think is what it was called. It was just immediate that I wanted to align with her. I also enjoyed, still enjoy mentoring and and really the teaching aspect. And uh, she was a natural from day one. It just worked. How many years have you all been in conjunction? About 13, yeah, 13, 14. Amazing. And what's so funny is that Mel describes herself as being shy. And that is like, would be like the last adjective I would use for her. So I'd be like me calling Michelle a wallflower, which is like... <laughs> Not true. <laughs> we went to the Christmas party together this year, and I, usually I try to make an effort to like say hi to each person. And I ran into Michelle like six times, and she's like, "We're gonna talk some more." And I was like, "That bitch never stops talking. She is like, she is <laughs> win it. She's like power broker at this party. It was amazing." Our audience for this podcast are newer agents who are really trying to find their way. Maybe they're new because they're young, or maybe they're new because they've switched careers or whatever. So we really like spotlighting like the story that other agents have had and how you end up in a partnership and if that works for someone especially like you guys where it's just like you do seem like uh like the sugar and spice and you know every house is nice and whatever you know like you guys seem like a great pair personality wise the way you work together and I think that's a great thing to portray to other people who feel like maybe they don't have every single thing developed already to go out and take the real estate market by storm but I think that partnering up is such a is such great advice so if if someone were going to go that route that you guys have in terms of partnering up how do you guys balance the workload so maybe like one doesn't feel taken advantage over the other or do you guys really just have your own lanes and that makes things really easy or what's your process we do sort of have our own lanes you know we work sort of parallel and we have our own clients, we have our own schedules and we kind of operate on a daily basis in our own in our own lanes for that matter. When maybe one of us has a heavier load or something going on in their life and we need coverage, we'll pull that person in and we have the same way of doing things. We have the same systems with our filing, with our Dropbox, with, mm. with the way that we sort of go about okay. the day to day. So it's real easy to just step in. You know, I could know nothing about a situation and in a matter of just a couple hours, be really up to speed on what's going on with that transaction or, or house or file. You know, I think the important thing is to 
really have good communication, you know, you've got to continually check in and, you know, make sure that at least once a quarter you're chatting and, and knowing, you know, hey, wh- what do you need? What do I need? And how do we balance that? And do we need bringing in other people to help along with our day to day? You said something really important right there. And I want to reiterate this. I don't know if it's necessarily about good communication so much as it is about good systems. We work with a lot of teams and we spend endless amounts of times with the lead agent writing to us and saying, when you are talking about this particular subject, you also have to copy this person and that person and this person. You guys have never done that to us. Whenever you hand something off, it is flawless. You know exactly what's going on the entire time. And I think it's because you're able to see each other and see what's going on and you have systems that work really, really well. And so trying to get your vendors to to adhere to your systems doesn't really work. You can't control what anybody else does. You only control what you do. And you guys do your systems extremely well. Michelle, you want to add to that? We have a shared cloud, for lack of a better word. And I have access to all of Mel's stuff. Mel has access to all of my stuff. But as far as the the best way to communicate on it, it's just that. It's just communication. From our database, we, we carry our own books of business. Like Mel said, we can jump in at any point in time and do coverage. But I think the biggest benefit is, is that in this industry, I think the majority of the successful agents work super hard and have a hard time taking breaks. And working with mm-hmm. Mel and being aligned with Mel, I can take a true extended absence. I mean, I've been out of the country sometimes for weeks. Mel had a maternity leave. Uh, Mel had a family emergency at one point in time. I've had issues with, with caregiving for parents and we can pull away everything. I mean, everything. Our email systems are organized the same way. Our notes are the same yeah. way. Our, da- our database yeah. is oh, the same cool. way. And um, so it makes, it makes it extremely streamlined and we've been doing it that way for a long time. So we've got good habit, but I think anybody can do it. It's just a matter of choosing somebody to organize it. You could write a book and make a, a training seminar about how to get real estate teams to work together. Because I got to tell you, we work with a lot of teams and you guys are seamless. So if you're out there and you want to know how to work on a team, look at Michelle Corey or Mel George. You'll figure it out real fast. And we also share an assistant very well. So that's awesome. Very cool. So yeah. I don't know if we've had interactions with your assistant and do like, is that all just behind the scenes for you? Or does that assistant actually go out and communicate with sellers and buyers and, and vendors and all that stuff? On my end, and she's primarily dealing with buyers, doing showings, sitting in on inspections, meeting vendors, those kinds of things. A little bit of communication stuff, but really being more, you know, in the field. So I can be negotiating and writing contracts and that kind of stuff. For Michelle, she, she was Michelle's assistant to start. And so I think she does a little bit more on on your end. Well, I was just going to say one thing that Mel and I both have in common as far as how we do business is that when we have a client and we are and we are working with them, we are working with them from the first moment we meet them until the transaction is closed and then beyond. So we don't pass off to like a buyer. I never have to like a buyer's agent. That's just not the way my personal business philosophy works and, and neither does Mel. So what Chelsea does for us is supports us so that we can be more efficient with our time. She's versed, she's licensed, she can can do it all. It's where the need is. Uh, but as far as our uh, negotiations and maybe the actual, the thickness of the interaction with the client, I think we we each kind of carry that interaction load, correct? That's absolutely right. You know, one thing to just let other agents know, especially if you're starting out and you're looking at a partnership, don't overcomplicate it. We have had, this has taken us years to get to where we feel like it's an easier 
um, way to just interact. You know, we've had years where we've tried to make it too complicated and it just is, it's not really worth the time and effort because we know what really works for us and just not everything's going to work for everybody. So just find the things that do work for you and really hone in on that. Or all the time, all the time. There'll be a period of time when one of us is just slammed. Then all of a sudden for a few months, we'll co-list everything together and then that will end for a few months. And then sometimes there's a different profit sharing and sometimes there isn't. And sometimes there's and we just sort of roll with it and we change and that's what works for us i think it's kind of like being in a marriage like the the rules ebb and flow and change and evolve so we have we've decided that we're no longer going to use the word pivot on on behind the yard <laughs> side because pivot has been the bane of our existence during covid and i saw i was watching a television show last night and they were like well first you pivot and then you evolve and so my question to you is during the covid pandemic and and the way that our whole world has changed so quickly how has your business evolved compared to how it was last year at the same time? What's different for you? For me, I feel like it's just basic efficiency. You know, now we have the ability to do more work virtually, which is inherently more efficient, not just energy efficient with fuel consumption and lower carbon footprint, but also with time. I can meet with a seller in Beaverton and five minutes after that, I can be meeting with a seller in Montevilla. So that saves at mm. least an hour, maybe two out of the day, which gives me more time to work on my business versus just in my business. And it's really helped me enhance my marketing on each listing with floor plans and video walkthroughs and upgraded reports, just things that I was not doing on that I was doing on some listings, but really not all of them. For me, um, kind of a different shift, a different, different way of looking at it is I've kind of had to soften up my, my rigid edges or my edges that don't like things to not go perfectly. And it's been really good for me to sort of bend more, relax more, maybe not control as much anymore on the transactions and kind of understand that there's going to be things that are going to cause delays and going to cause hiccups. And then, uh, and then probably the biggest thing for me that's fundamentally changed is I like to hug and grab my client. It is horrible. Super awkward, right? You're like, air hug. Yeah, it's very, very weird. We talked about the idea that there are no good decisions right now. There are only slightly less shitty decisions. And so <laughs> not having those, because I mean, you know, you're a perfectionist and you want things to be right. And yeah. right now we really don't have that choice right. all the time. So yeah, well, yeah the control thing is a big piece. Mel, you recently started a family, I guess it's... In, inside this COVID craziness or when, when did that? It's, it's been a couple years. Um, it's been a couple years. You know, okay. My question was going to be when inside starting a family, if that changed your partnership at all, or, you know, a lot of, a lot of, especially if they're new um, real estate agents listening to this, they are attracted to real estate specifically because of the flexibility and the things you mentioned before. So a partnership seems like such a natural thing because of the way you seem to cover one another. And now that you have this family balancing act of at home and your business, has that changed your partnership or does this go back to the point you guys made before about how communication changes, rules change, staying flexible and all that? For us, I don't feel like it really changed our partnership a whole lot. You know, Michelle was so gracious to cover me for an extended period while I was out and she knows that I do the same for her and, you know, when her family duties call and we all definitely need to check out and disconnect from technology and work and knowing that you have somebody who has your back and also runs the same 
same detailed systems is just absolutely invaluable. I feel the uh, the unplugging. I feel that. I feel like in COVID, we got, we got even more technologically addicted than we were before, if that was possible. Yes. I feel like everything really ramped up. And in business, just because so much ahead of us is unpredictable, I feel like we're just really putting even more energy into like every bit of business and work that we're getting just because we're just like, well, we have absolutely no idea what's happening with this season. Like the real estate season came real late. You know, everyone was like, what the hell's happening in the spring? And then summer and fall rolled around and here everyone's busy. It's just like, what's going on? (laughs) And technology is at the core of it. Michelle, we all have this little voice in the back of our head that says that you're not good enough and your way is wrong and nobody's going to hire you and you're the worst person ever and you shouldn't be a real estate agent. How do you how do you deal with that voice? How do you how do you talk back? What do you say? That's a really tough question, I think, for for a lot of people that has has deeper, deeper levels. But I do my best every day to give myself a break and uh, to know that, you know, and Mel will say to me sometimes when I'll start to get a little bit excited, we will call it, she'll say, just tell yourself you have enough time, you can get it all done. Not everything has to be perfect. I'm good enough. And just take a deep breath. And I think think one of the most important things you can do is to compare yourself to yourself and not compare yourself to others and not set the benchmark at what colleague is doing or somebody who's been in the agent uh, agent less years than you or whatever it is. Focus on yourself, focus on your own goals, focus on your own worth, and also surround yourself with people who are going to help you feel that way. Good people like Mel and Justin. But so, I mean, that's really interesting that be, um, your partnership is not just, it's not just an on paper. It's not just a, mm-hmm. you know, a transactional thing. It's actual it's partnership that when, you know, if Mel's feeling down, Michelle can be come and be like, you're going to be okay. And that's, it's so invaluable to have that because you can't always be your own cheerleader. And I think most real estate agents, they're kind of on their own. And there's no boss to tell you, like, you got to wake up and exercise and do your job. And so you kind of have to do that on your own. And Mel, I think you actually did a test that told you that you should be a real estate agent. Tell us about this. (laughs) So um, when I was early in my career, there was a a big push to do the DISC assessment. And DISC is D-I-S-C, which stands for Dominance, Influence, Steadiness, and Conscientiousness. You know, we all have some of those characteristics and a balance of those. So when I took the test, it was explained to me that I was not going to be a strong, successful agent, not a closer, if you will. You know, that I was just going to be an assistant, just support staff, you know, sort of that steady eddy that would just kind of guide people through, but not really be able to to have my own business. And so I just felt, you know, in my gut that that wasn't really the case. And so with a lot of hard work and a lot of years and honing my skills, I, I realized it truly wasn't the case. I didn't have to just settle for that. And, you know, I'm proud of the business that I built. I started with nothing and this year I'll have a career high year. So, you know, just with anything that you just really have to trust your gut, you know, also, like focusing on that positive mindset and having the regimen and self-care and all of those things too, you know? I took that disc assessment and it said that I was a bossy showboat who's a total bitch. And I was like, nah. <laughs> Mine was different back then than it was. I took it a couple years ago and it had changed a little bit. You know, you really have to sort of just think with that law of abundance. There's business everywhere. There's opportunity everywhere. And just really trying to be on the lookout for that. You know, if you're thinking like, oh, when am I going to get my next deal or paycheck or client? You know, that just that law of scarcity 
it doesn't yeah. really help. You know, you're going down that negative path. So yeah, we all have that voice in the back of our head, but you have got to really focus on the other, you know, the positive because it does kind of keep you at that baseline and above. Yeah. Would you say that that assessment ended up, you ended up flipping on its head and turn into a flop opportunity and make it into a driving force for you? Is that something that you're like, fuck that. I'm just going to beat the system. Watch this. I wallowed in it for a while mm-hmm. and I thought, well, that won't be so bad. You know, I can like get a good position with the team or whatever it is. I mean, Michelle really helped me realize like be patient year three, things will change. You know, it just takes a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of consistency. And she was totally right. You know, year three, my business started picking up. It's just sort of morphed, you know, from there, but it was a driving force. But I think that I really had to get some help outside of myself and realize that there are some other ways to do it and not take that to heart. I am loving this, how much you two lean on each other, not just logically, but also emotionally. It's really a beautiful thing. I've known you two for a long time, like a long time. And this conversation gives me so much insight into how you two work together. It's really quite lovely. I love it. My sister from another mister. That's what we always say, (laughs) sister from another mister. We have a lot of conversations with agents who have had a lot of like bumps in the beginning. Either they were not in the right office, they were not in the right place, they were not, they thought they had to be something that they really couldn't be. And it seems like you guys have just managed that so perfectly, not just with rounding each other out by the the different kinds of tones and presence you have in your partnership, but also just the back and forth, just logistical share of your business existing in tandem and the support system you created. So I think that's a really great aspect of your businesses. And I'll just add one thing in there that we really provide for each other that I think is invaluable is that you get sometimes where you have a a transaction that's complicated and we will bounce scenarios off each other. A second set of eyes. Like I asked my husband to read emails all the time. I'm like, can you check this for bitchiness, please? And he's like, no, it seems <laughs> yeah. totally nice. Because when I'm writing, I'm like, and you know what else I want to say? This. Well, when we stop learning, we stop growing and we don't want to ever stop growing. Yeah. We also love to highlight just how bad sometimes real estate can be. Even though, of course, we always learn from our worst days. What were your guys' worst days in real estate? Maybe not so much, Michelle, for you because you felt like you were born and you were going to die in this business no matter what happened. But (laughs) what were the worst things that have happened to you that really made you question everything you thought you could do in real estate? Well, yeah, I was just going to say, if I told you about my worst day in real estate, I'd be telling you about the worst day of my life and that's another oh. podcast because uh, <laughs> it has been my whole life but you know the days that are the hardest for me on a brushstroke level are the days that I feel stretched too thin yeah the days that I don't have time for joy for anything days where I feel like I'm running into walls yeah. instead of making progress everywhere and they're exhausting yeah. they are the worst days and it doesn't matter whether it's an issue on a transaction a seller that won't move a horrible continuous contaminated oil tank that's dripping into three neighboring yards or, or whatever the situation is, you know, we're passionate about our work. And for the most part, real estate agents are people who care. And when it's not going right, it feels just awful. I had a day where I had three sale fails in one day and then rear into the car. <laughs> so I mean, you know, and when you're delivering uh, news to people that, you know, they're not going to be getting their keys at 99.9% of the time, you know, we're facilitators of a process. Yeah. I always 
say we're like we're like Frank in 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 Father of the Bride. We are just making. Oh my we're, we're god, facil- that is we're hilarious! I love that. <laughs> we're, we're we're facilitating a process. We're not actually selling something. So when we're kind of the people who are guiding the process along the way, and there's a hiccup, it can derail your whole day. Did the rear ending happen after the sale fails happened? It was midday, and I literally pulled over, and the poor people that I hit, and I gave them my business card. I was like, "Sorry, gotta go, gotta be somewhere too." And then like just was, if I remember correctly, it was like bad news in the morning, car wreck, and maybe two or three pieces of bad news. Oh, yeah, my goodness. That's a legit yeah. bad day. Yeah, cocktail no kidding. That. A stiff cocktail. Yeah. Mel, tell us about it. <laughs> you know, there's just a lot of stuff that you take to heart, things that you're that are out of your control. Uh, one that I know of recently that I had um, just a few months ago is where I had a seller find out that just the day before closing that their buyer no longer qualified for his loan. And so not only did my clients lose out on their sale, but they lost out on the home that they were buying. And then the seller of that house lost out on the home that she was buying. And so, you know, a lot of times you can gracefully work through issues that arise without adding stress to your client's plates, but sometimes it's just out of your control. And it's just a tough pill to swallow when you're a problem solver. Yeah. And so there was no solutions that like all three of those transactions. No, not so much. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. So we went back on the market and started back from square one and oh, yeah, boy. just tough, tough, tough. Yeah. And then you have to put that post on Facebook. That's like, you know, no sell, no fault of the seller, you know, yeah. deal fails, like the lower price and you just feel terrible about it. Yeah. That's, mm-hmm. that's a rough day for sure. All right. So I get to ask the fun question. Uh, so Michelle, tell me about the absolute best day you've ever had in real estate. Like what's the, just the one where you like, this is why I was born to do this. Buying my own first home the day that I that I closed on my own first home. And I was young and possibly a little 16, bit confident. You were 16. I was 22. I was freshly 22. I think I thought I understood everything about real estate because I understood the ins and outs of even running a business, of, of marketing, because I'd worked with my dad and worked in all these different things. But I think that day is the day I really got it. And I understood the emotional feeling behind, you know, get, getting keys and giving keys and that, that, that feeling of home ownership and it changed my respect for my profession. And so I would definitely call that my best day. I think my best single day been lots of good days since. So probably my second close runner up is the day I met Mel George. (laughs) When we stage real estate agents houses, they're, they are the toughest clients. Just like you said, they think they know everything about what it's like to do it. And they do, they know everything except for the exact emotions that their sellers and buyers go through. And so when they actually have to go through that process of seeing their house stage versus how they lived in it, it's a very emotional thing for them. And it really catches them off guard because they're so confident that they're not going to be like their clients are. And then they end up being exactly like their clients because they're humans, you know? just went through that last year. Tell us about it. I love helping people. I love guiding people through one of the most stressful times. So I've had a lot of really, really good days. I would say probably one of the top so far in my career was going through this it's called a ninja sales installation. And I promise this is not an ad for them, but it's, it's an intensive week long training course that was sort of the aha moment for me because business, it, it's hard. It's stressful. It's all consuming. And sometimes you, f- 
feel like it's maybe a little too overwhelming and taking over your life and knowing that there was a, a, a roadmap for a balanced lifestyle, really, mm. you know, where I could truly flourish, not just in real estate, but in life in general, it just, it seemed to be like a just, it was that day where I was like, you know what? I can do this. I can actually have this career and it's not going to take over my entire life. You know, not every program works for every broker, but you just have to find one that works for you and stick with it. You know, you just, it really will help you and you just can't look back from there. So I would say that was probably a, a top moment for me. That was March of 2018. So where can people find you? Online. On the interwebs, yes. Where can they find you? www.michellecorey.com. That's M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-K-O-U-R-Y.com. And melgeorge.com. Fantastic. Michelle Corey and Mel George are real estate agents in Portland, Oregon with Windermere Realty Trust. Thank you ladies so much for being on the Behind the Yard Sign. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Really fun. Nice to meet you guys. Nice to meet you. Take care. Back from Mel and Melissa. How cool are they? I just love, like, everyone gets into real estate because they're attracted to certain aspects of it. You know, it's either you can kick it laid back and wear your kids to work or you're wearing your, like... Three-piece suit. Yeah, yeah. like, you're, you're, you're going either direction. You're serving any kind of clientele. You're selling condos. You're selling luxury. You're selling, you know, bungalows. You're selling whatever. And it's just so beautiful how they created this part partnership of like they're so yin and yang they're perfectly yin and yang that's a great way to describe them yeah absolutely one of the first things that you did when you first came into the company you twisted my arm and i'm still sore by the way ow Um, (laughs) you twisted my arm and you were like hey we need to do some kind of personality profiling so we can figure out where all of our salespeople are coming from where their weaknesses are where their strengths are and we can figure out how to best motivate them and we ended up using that same system that mel used which is called disc D-I-S-C, right? Yeah. And you said mm-hmm. that l- you can find disc profiles like all over the place, right? And there's a bunch of different ways to do personality profiling. Is that right? Yes. So there's all different kinds of disc specifically because, you know, it's considered open source. So a lot of different people have taken it, adopted it. You know, you get different information in the final evaluation or paying for all different levels of whatever. We did the very basic. What, what I was most interested in was, first of all, to have our design managers who are also our frontline sales staff be able to understand what their gifts are because sometimes all they were seeing was the stuff they what they weren't doing right so mm-hmm. I wanted them to have an appreciation for what they are doing right and they're just not getting such obvious feedback on day to day so I wanted people to appreciate their own skill set second as there is in all offices there are people who do not understand other people because we've got all different kinds of roles in our company we have the CEO you who's an entrepreneur and then we have like Coleman who does finances and then I'm over here with the language and the messaging and the da 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 and then Chad is like perfectionist detail oriented creative direction all day long and then our design staff really they kind of like fell into one of two buckets what were those two buckets for the design staff I'm only looking at yours and mine um, that I pulled I know that Chad and I were a lot alike like Chad is basically like a replica of me in terms of personality like fiery and big picture and yes. Cole was like a completely opposite. He was all about details and making sure that everything gets done properly, which is the stuff that I suck at. One group was results oriented and those are kind of like our perfectionist 
like our LA directors, Erin, I'm sure I can I put good money. I don't, I don't have a strong memory, but I put good money that she was results oriented because yeah. it means demanding, direct, egocentric, self-assured, change oriented, frustrated by lack of progress, persistent, determined, stubborn, independent, and own person. That was like half of our design staff. And the yeah. other side, I think they were the individualists. And it's really interesting, all of those descriptions that you just read off, that you rambled off, they could be seen as either being negative or positive. It's not like they're trying to say those things in really, really positive no. ways or really, really negative ways. It's no, just like, totally you know, neutral. Which is really hard to come up with in your describing per somebody's personality to be neutral about what the assessment is around that. Like I often find that like when I first started hiring people, I wanted to just stamp out little replicas of me. Like right. I wanted to just make a whole bunch of me's and I was like, if we just have a whole bunch of me's, it'll be great. If you drive a gray Honda, then we're going to be in fantastic shape. And what I found was that that was not a good way to hire people. And so I almost wonder if our agents out there can take this test, figure out where their strengths are, and then they can give these tests to people that they hire that make up in, on the other side, like the opposite of themselves to be able to make up those those points and be able to get it done. Because I think hiring is probably one of the toughest things. And especially hiring your first three employees is really tough because yes. you're learning how to make mistakes. People always say firing people is the hardest thing you'll ever do. And I say bullshit <laughs> because if you hire them correctly in the first place, you wouldn't have to fire them. So hiring is the most difficult thing you will ever do as, as yeah. a business owner. Yeah. I agree. And I think even just doing the disc assessment and learning it, or there's so many, there are so many personality profiling systems out there. Disc is yeah. Probably the one that's used most widely in like uh, corporate America because yeah. it's not terribly difficult to understand. It's not as complicated as Myers Briggs. Our result oriented design managers or directors like Aaron, Aaron's in the perfect position in the company to be demanding and direct, change oriented. Like she's always got a change and a process up her sleeve. I mean, she's yeah. always rec thinking and recommending new ways to be better. So like she is perfect for that director role to be all of those things where it would be very difficult for someone who is, say, fits more like the counselor, which is warm, enthusiastic, caring, modest, trusting, influential, team player, loyal, patient, sensitive, to run and really own an office. Do you know what I mean? Right. Not that they can't. And this is exactly what Mel was saying. She was saying like, well, the you know, what I got spit out told me that I wasn't going to be great in this job. And that's not the point of all of this, but you definitely get where a person is coming from. And I think that when we started doing fine tuning in sales areas, or how people were doing in the company overall, usually, you know, I'd go in and I'm just asking them to dial up or dial down certain things. Like we right. totally appreciate who you are, what you're bringing to the company. You are so valued. Let's just brainstorm little ways to dial up or dial down certain things. And that's, that's kind of like what we're talking about. The big thing to remember when you're taking a personality assessment is that this is not a judgment. This is a reflection. No, totally. And it's really just to help you understand where you are, where the people are around you are, how you can communicate better with those people and how you can motivate those people better. What we found out was that every personality fits into our business. Yeah. We just needed how to figure out how to motivate them correctly. And once we were doing that, once we stopped assuming that everybody is just Justin Reardon, we did so much better. <laughs> I, well, it's so funny is even after that exercise, 
I noticed a really big culture shift. Mm-hmm. I, I noticed a little bit less conflict, yep. a little bit more ease. Shortly after that culture shift, we also had a couple people leave that were like, True. this place is not for me. And that was okay. Well, one of my favorite parts of the exercise is at the bottom when they spit it out, they tell you who it's easiest to work with and who it's hardest to work with. And I, you know, you just make it light, but I like called that out between the employees. I was just like, well, this person and this person do not go well together. And so like, <laughs> and some of that stuff was already funny and amusing to us. Chad, creative director, creative principal Chad, and Coleman, finance controller, really come together on virtually nothing. So at least they have a piece of paper that is validating that because it is very difficult to have empathy and understanding for people that we are not like. But once they understood each other, they get along great. And even at this point, Chad is the guy who's in charge of spending and Cole is the guy who's in charge of saving. And they get along perfectly well, even with completely divergent goals. So they are much more capable of communicating with each other on a day-to-day basis, which is great. I think so much harmony comes from just being like, oh, okay, what I'm picking yeah. up is this person's real different. And this person also knows I'm real different. And then like, just in that, I think there can be so much harmony from that. Uh, let's talk about light. All three of our offices are suffering from light right now because we've got fires outside and everything is dark. Like even it's right now, it's three o'clock in the afternoon and the yeah. smoke outside is so dense that it feels like it's like seven or eight o'clock at night. Yeah. And I would love to just talk about light in terms of how it works with home staging and, and how we can get um, houses sold better using light. So Walmart, this is a weird story. Walmart was building a store in the middle of the country somewhere. They had this new design where they're going to put skylights into each one of their stores. And they started putting in skylights from the back of the store, working their way forward. And as they got about halfway through, they realized that the project was going to go over budget. And so they decided to value engineer, which is like to reduce the scope of work, to reduce the cost of the project. They stopped putting in skylights halfway through. So the front half of the store did not get skylights, but the back half of the store did. And usually in retail, the front half of the store outsells the back half of the store by about one third. So if you put the mop section in the front half of the store, you'll sell 130 units. If you put it in the back half of the store, you'll only sell 100 units during the same period of time just because people don't make it as far in to get to that particular section. But they found that in this particular store with the skylights in the back half of the store that the back half of the store outsold the front half of the store by double. What? Yeah. So instead of selling 100 units of mops in the front, they were selling 200 units of mops in the back. And they were like, what the, and no matter what department they put in the back half of the store, it was outside the front half by double. And what they realized, the only difference was that they had natural light on their products. So having actual sunlight on their product made it so that they outsold by double, which is why we are constantly screaming about natural light in our houses. So a lot of people freak out because we take down all the window coverings. We take down everything. We take down all of the the rails, the pictures, everything. If we have a Venetian blind, we pull it up all the way and it's to get as much natural light into these houses as possible because we know that natural light sells product. So if we have Venetian blinds that are in the open position, you know, like when the the blinds are down, but they're turned so that they're open, 50% of the light that was going to come into the house during the course of the day does not come in. Do what plantation shutters look like? Those big wooden shutters that you have custom made. So those are designed for plantation 
plantations, thus the name Plantation Sutter, hot, muggy places with no air conditioning. So you could have those open, a breeze could come through the house, but no right. light would come into the house. So they block about 75% of light over the course of the day. They are bloody expensive because they have to be custom made, right, for every single window. And so you'll see a room and they would have spent, you know, five, $6,000 on these plantation shutters. And the client, you say, take down the shutters and the client freaks out. Well, just this year alone, we've had like five stale donuts that have come to us that have not sold. And guess what? They had plantation shutters. So we go through, we take down all the plantation shutters, stage the entire house. They don't change the price and it sells immediately. And we wow. sell the house with the plantation shutters. We even put them back up after we we're done with the staging. And it's just a matter of having natural light inside these houses. And it's done over and over and over again. So if you're getting ready to sell your house, the tip of the day today for yeah. today's podcast is take down your window coverings. Allow yeah. as much light to come into your house as possible. Light sells houses, period. We also cheat a little bit. We put all of our lamps on timers. They turn on around 8 o'clock in the morning. They turn off at 8 o'clock at night. If your home's Stager is not plugging in their lamps or even seen home stagers who don't even put light bulbs in their lamps. If they're just using them like for decoration, not to actually add light to the rooms, they're totally cheating you out. Uh, that light is hugely important to get these houses sold. It's the wow. number one thing somebody's looking for in a house. When people are putting together a, a list of things, they're like, well, I want three bedrooms and two bathrooms. I want to make sure we have a living room and a basketball court. Nobody ever puts the first item on their list as I want there to be light inside of this house. But if you had a house with no windows, guaranteed to be a hard sell. People yeah. want light, period. Tip of the day. Tip of the day. Just want to say thank you so much to all of you who have reached out to tell us your stories behind the yard sign. If you've got a story that you want to tell, you can find us at spade-archer.com. Just click on the podcast link. It's called Behind the Yard Sign. Our music is composed by Joff Metz. You can find him at fivestarguitars.com. That's with an S at the end there. Our special guests today were Mel George and Michelle Corey with Windermere Realty Trust in Portland, Oregon. It's been a, such a pleasure chatting with you, Kelly. I cannot wait until next time. Thank you, Justin. This production of Behind the Yard Sign was brought to you live from the Spade and Archer Studios. Spade and Archer Design Agency is the world's first guaranteed home stager.